welcome to the Monsters of History. I'm your host, Christian Gonzalez, and today's episode is on the Golden State Killer. This is sort of a sequel or a part two to the Boston Strangler, but in no way is it totally connected. If you want to listen to that episode, it's the previous one, of course. It's called The Boston Strangler. Uh, and the way that this is sort of a part two is that DNA has a lot to do with how this crime was solved or how this monster was brought to justice. Now, I will say that the Boston Strangler was posthumously uh, found guilty while uh, the Golden State Killer was found guilty in his life and at the time of this recording is still alive and is serving his time in prison. Right, so this is actually uh, by, I guess you could say, happenstance, the first killer or the first monster, I guess you could say, that is still alive. So this is definitely an interesting one. So stay tuned after these messages. All right, and of course, if you do want to support the show monetarily, you can go to anchor.fm slash the monsters of history slash support and for as little as 99 cents a month you can support the show financially now this would help me improve my research improve my editing improve my recording skills and honestly just make the show a whole lot better it's totally up to you i'd be so happy if you did but at the same time I'm just happy if you listen at the same time. All right, well, let's get into the Golden State Killer, shall we? So the Golden State Killer, as you may have guessed from the name of our monster today, is based in California. Golden State is the official state nickname of California. Maybe you're not from this country and you do not know that, or maybe you are from the United States and you learned something new. That's the whole point of the show anyway. So, the Golden State Killer was born Joseph James D'Angelo, Jr., that is, uh, on November 8th, 1945, in Bath, New York. Okay, so that's where he was born, but that is by no means where he spent uh, his life. He was actually raised all over army bases, and unfortunately... While his family was stationed in West Germany, uh, he witnessed his family, himself and his family members, be abused. In fact, uh, he reported the rape of his sister by, apparently, uh, two airmen, which is sickening and disgusting and could very clearly be the source of this man's trauma and therefore actions against society. It's very strange because oftentimes psychologically uh, people debate whether or not there's such thing as a gateway. You know, most oftentimes you hear about marijuana being a gateway drug. You know, some people say that, oh, if you try marijuana, you're more likely to try more dangerous drugs such as cocaine or heroin or whatever it may be. 
and of course uh, the the argument is that if you're going to be in an environment of drugs you're not really going to care what you try and whatever and the counter argument to that is well you could argue you could also argue that milk is a gateway drug because most of the people who have had heroin cocaine marijuana have also had milk right I'm not here to debate the psychological uh, urges or the concept of a gateway or whatever, but let me tell you what the press and the media and the police have called uh, D'Angelo over the span of 10 or so years. Uh, He's been called the Visalia Ransacker, the East Area Rapist, the East Side Rapist, the East Bay Rapist, the Creek Bed Killer, the Diamond's Knot Killer, the Night Stalker, the original Night Stalker, because there's, of course, more than one Night Stalker in California, and uh, ERONS, which is an acronym, and that would stand for East Area Rapist Original Night Stalker. And, of course, and this is coined um, by an author that we'll get to in a moment, Golden State Killer. Okay, and that is sort of the name that the media has sort of adopted for uh, D'Angelo since then. Okay, so the Golden State Killer, as I will refer to him either as D'Angelo or as the Golden State Killer, as you can plainly see, has been involved with all kinds of crimes. Okay, and it did start off in the 1970s, 1974, as breaking and entering, almost being some sort of a kleptomaniac, if you will. And then that moved up from being a kleptomaniac to actually burgling places, to robbing places, to stalking people, to raping people, to finally, then I guess you could say that this is the ultimate crime, is killing people. He has had a multitude of names, and that really is evident of his progression in crimes. You don't have to be a true crime expert or a criminologist to understand that this person has, you know, gone up the, I guess you could say, the ladder of committing crimes. And for those of you who are interested in the statistics, he killed... 13, raped 50, and has burgled hundreds. Okay, so you can see sort of it, it sort of, uh, I guess you could say bottlenecks, or it funnels down, right? Each crime is getting more intense, yet the number of victims is less and less. Although at the same time, if you've killed just one person, that is quite incredible, honestly. Um, I don't think I need to say that that is one of the worst, if not the worst crime that you could ever commit. The shame of this is that many of these crimes have what's called a statute of limitations, which basically means that if, that, you know, there's an expiration date on when someone can be apprehended for a crime. So let's say, for example, I steal a bag of M&M's in 2001, now I don't know the exact statute of limitation on it, but at some point, 
I can no longer be tried or arrested for that crime. Okay. Um, not that I think I would ever be put on trial for stealing, stealing a bag of M&Ms, but you never know. <clears throat> uh, so the burglary did have a statute of limitation as well as the, uh, rape. However, the kidnapping and killing he did, right, stalker, kidnapping, did not. And so this person was a wanted man or wanted person, and no one had any idea who he was. And part of the reason why that may have been is due to the fact that D'Angelo was a police officer. He could have, and most likely did, tamper with evidence. He knew what to look for in a crime scene, and therefore, he also knew what to get rid of in a crime scene. Unfortunately, some of these things are not possible to get rid of for him. You know, unfortunate for him, fortunate for society, I guess you could say. And that's where DNA comes in, right? Now, again, and we can refer back to my previous episodes and there are plenty of podcasts and TV shows and documentaries that talk about this, right? But <clears throat> DNA was for a very long time considered somewhat of a, a quack science, a pseudoscience, and something that could not be relied upon uh, consistently. It was not a very reliable source. Of course, we know that it is as good as gold, it's as easy as pie, I guess you could say. Um, we can get into fractions of percentage of accuracy with DNA, again, to the point where we have DNA tests to check who's related to who, where your family comes from, etc. And that is how they found the Golden State Killer. He had stopped committing these crimes in the 80s, okay? Uh, and like I said, uh, Joseph D'Angelo is still alive. He is serving his time as we speak at the time of this recording. You know, watch, he's gonna die <laughs> uh, after this is put out, but, you know, probably not. But he's 76, by the way, at the time of this recording. <clears throat> they basically put together a family tree. California has a DNA database. And essentially, if you commit a crime of a certain level or a certain amount of crimes, you are then automatically obliged to give up your DNA and put it into a database. And in many cases, many people in California have willingly given their DNA because these people are fairly safe in betting that they are not going to commit a major crime and that if their DNA is you know in a database they can exclude them from the suspects automatically so many of these people have just submitted their DNA just willingly or unwillingly if they commit a crime and eventually through thousands and thousands of samples they were able to narrow down that the Golden State Killer was Joseph D'Angelo Jr. Now, like I said, uh, he uh, had the statute of limitations on many of his crimes, but of course, 
kidnapping and murder do not have those statutes of limitation. Uh, so they were able to nab him on that. Now, before I get into what his punishment actually was, this idea on how to find him was essentially not internal but external. There was a woman by the name of Michelle McNamara, and she wrote a book called I'll Be Gone in the Dark, One Woman's Obsession with the Golden State Killer. Uh, The link to that book will be in the description if anyone is interested. Unfortunately, she died in 2016, so she never got to see uh, who actually was the Golden State Killer, but she did propose the concept of the DNA in it. She died, and it was posthumously published, in her name of course, in February of 2018. Okay, so this is February 2022, right? April of that year, so we are talking about two months later, they arrest Joseph D'Angelo with the theory that she put out. So, two months after the book was published and two years after she died, Joseph D'Angelo was arrested. And the trial was going on for quite some time. Uh, The pictures are actually interesting historically for another reason, and that is the fact that he's wearing a face shield, a transparent face shield, and other people around him are wearing transparent face shields, and other people around them are wearing face masks. Medical face masks, or KN95 masks. This, of course, was going on during the pandemic, right? Well, his arrest may have been in 2018, which, of course, was before COVID-19, i.e. 2019, but complicated trials like these where there's, quote-unquote, scant evidence against the suspect or the person being tried can take years and years and years and years and years. Even if the crime has plenty of evidence and the person is definitely guilty without any question, there could be years and years and years and years at trial to determine exactly what the person's punishment could or should be. And this is where it gets a little bit interesting. I mentioned already that he's 76. Currently, I also mentioned that this was in the state or is in the state of California. Now, if you put those two things together, you may be thinking, aha, California has the death penalty. As liberal as California is, it's one of the states in the United States that has the death penalty. Where I'm recording this from New Jersey, we do not have it. Many of these states have uh, gotten rid of the death penalty. And the death penalty, of course, is a complicated issue uh, in its own right. But, you know, (laughs) and that comes into play here in this episode because California, he would have definitely, 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 whatever, he would have received the death penalty. But he's 76, 76 years old. He may die before the death penalty is even administered onto him. 
before he's given lethal injection or whatever method uh, the state slash judge chooses or governor chooses for him. So what they do is they give him a hundred plus years in prison. They want him to have the most severe punishment available. And that is to basically rot in prison. And uh, I guess that makes sense. This is yet another interesting case in that we've discussed in the Monsters of History. And the second one in which DNA plays a very important role much after the fact. I mean, it's been essentially 40 years since his last crime, notable crime, has been committed. And here we are getting an idea from basically a true crime book to evaluate the database of uh, California's DNA. And what do you know? They found the killer. And like I said, at the time of this recording, he is still alive. Let me tell you, sometimes uh, when it seems that there is no hope at all, something incredible and even borderline miraculous happens. And on that note, I'm going to sign off and I'll see you next time. Take care and goodbye.